Okay, well, welcome everybody to a, yet another episode of the Dave and Gunner Show. So this is Dave here, and I'm here with special guest star Gordon Half. And interesting story as to how Gordon got on the show is that uh, Gordon is a prolific writer uh, for us at Red Hat and, and is always putting out a lot of great thought leadership pieces. And one of the ones that I really liked was uh, a recent article that he was he was talking about and you know, going into like uh, serverless computing, functions as a service and all that. And I share it out and uh, fan of the show, uh, Cal Petrosino uh, replied uh, to my post on LinkedIn saying, hey, this would be a great topic for the Dave and Gunner show. And I'm like, well, let's let's get the guy that wrote the article on the show. So welcome, Gordon, to the show. Thanks, Dave. I can't believe I've never been on your show before. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, yeah, it's, it's payback time, right? Uh, for all the times that, that I've been on yours. So you have a, a, a podcast yourself, don't you? Yep. Cloudy Chat Podcast, which I post to a little bit irregularly these days. But even though it's called Cloudy Chat, it's really whoever I get on there and uh, check it out. Yeah. And I, it's like really great. I mean, you go to these events and it's like a man in the street interviews with, uh, uh, a lot of people like uh, well, yeah, Kelsey Hightower on and and uh, Clayton Coleman and like a lot of the the celebrities from the open source world, especially when it comes to containers and emerging technologies. So, but let's let's talk a little bit about um, serverless computing and functions as a service. Are they are those synonymous or are they two different things? You know, it's funny you ask that because I was at a meetup out in the Bay Area less than a year ago now. And there was a panel of a bunch was up there and somebody asked that exact question. And there was violent disagreement on the panel as to whether they were the same, whether they were different, you know, basically kind of what they were. And over the last nine months or so, I'm not saying everybody would give you the same answer now, but yeah. I think there's a a certain um People were kind of circling around a fairly consistent set of definitions for serverless and functions as a service, which are related, but they're not the same thing. Okay, so how, how would you define, say, serverless? Sure. So serverless, in addition to being an absolutely horrible name, because there, there are still servers there, newsflash, uh, yeah. serverless is really the, the broader term. So the way I think of it, the way a lot of people think about it, is it's a set of architectural patterns that build on functions as a service, but also bring in other prepackaged services that let people uh, deploy applications more easily. So for example, you might have your functions as a service code that implements some business logic but you also have things like databases, analytics, monitoring, that you, essentially is a Lego approach to building mm. uh, applications. So serverless is the broader term, functions as a service is really the wrapper for your custom business logic code. Uh -huh. Got it, got it. So you could, so would you classify, say like databases as a service as serverless computing? 
it would be part of it. So, for example, you might call storage, you might call a database, you might call, you know, a, a message, you know, a messaging system. Uh, basically, calling a lot of, I won't say it's all middleware, but it would call a lot of the things that we've traditionally called enterprise middleware. Okay. Okay. So like if, if I were to like, what, what would be say like some of the um, brand names that you would think of when you think of say like functions as a service or serverless computing and, and things like that? What, what are some examples? Well, if you're, we're talking, let's talk public cloud first of all, simply mm -hmm. because it's what most people are familiar with. Although Red Hat and others are certainly in the process of implementing open source uh, serverless architectures that can run on-premise or can run across a variety of public clouds. But Amazon Web Services, for example, is pretty familiar to a lot of people. They have their functions as a service is called AWS Lambda. Uh, and like other parts of serverless architectures, it's essentially an event-driven execution model. So what you have with Lambda, here's sort of the canonical example is I upload a file to S3, which is another service or storage service, and the action of uploading that file triggers some custom code that has been written. So for example, I might upload a video file in some format, and up the act of uploading it automatically triggers some code that transcodes it into different formats or transcodes it into uh, different sizes, for example. That's kind of a canonical example of functions as a service. Um, and maybe I don't even need to write the code to actually do the transcoding, because that could mm -hmm. be an other service, for example, that is available on Amazon. Um, mm -hmm. I, an authentication service is an other example of a service I might call. And that's really the idea with serverless broadly, that I have these services that are needed by a lot of different types of applications. And I can either write it myself once and use it via APIs from a range of different applications, or maybe the cloud vendor has already written that service or has already implemented it so that I can use that from, again, a range of different applications. Yeah. So it sounds like there, there are, you're hinting at a lot of good benefits here, but like, why, why change? Why use serverless? What, what's so cool about it compared to uh, just doing it the old-fashioned way of writing, you know, hey, let's spin up a server, let's let's get the operating system laid down, let's get the middleware going, and let's start writing some code. Well, from the point of view of the developer, now, what, one thing I will uh, I will inject right here, and I think we may get to it a little bit more detail in a few minutes, but I mentioned this event-driven programming model, and there are certain characteristics of applications that are particularly well suited to serverless, which doesn't describe everything. However, mm -hmm. let's assume that your application is a good match for this. Well, from the perspective of a developer, these services are all managed by a third party, whether that's the cloud provider or whether it's an operations uh, slash SRE team on premise, 
Um, so these are still service, servers and operating systems underneath, but the developers don't really need to think about or interact with them in a traditional way. So essentially in exchange for uh, writing your applications for a particular uh, architectural paradigm, if you can do that, you get away from having to think about traditional servers, traditional operating systems, and so forth. Now, you might be thinking, well, isn't that just a platform as a service? And the answer is yes, to some degree, there's a there's certain similarity there. And if you look, think about some of the early platforms of services, sort of the pre-polyglot, very prescriptive types of uh, platforms of service running in public clouds, there is a certain similarity to this. Now, what's really happened over time is platform as a service models like OpenShift, for example, really have gotten more broadly and less constrained in terms of languages, frameworks, uh, programming models, and so forth. But you can actually think of a serverless as a particularly prescriptive form of platform as a service. And I, I don't know who I stole that from. Someone made that remark on Twitter. Uh, and it's, it's really a good way to think about your your uh, you're tying yourself into a very specific type of uh, architectural paradigm. But in exchange, you're getting a lot of simplicity. Yeah. I'll say one last thing to this. The other, uh, the other feature of serverless uh, or functions as a service, really, that some people find attractive, specifically in a public cloud context, is that you don't pay for idle time. You only pay yes. when that function is actually being invoked, um, which a lot of people find attractive. However, Somewhat ironically, as we've really gone from focusing on serverless to this, from excuse me, from focusing on functions as a service to this broader serverless uh, paradigm, that benefit has been somewhat less, somewhat de-emphasized over time. Because of course, a lot of these other services that you're invoking, like databases, are, are persistent. So. Mm -hmm. So that you, you kind of get away from that, you only pay when the function is being invoked because the, the entire serverless application has a lot of components that you're paying for all the time, not just when the function is being invoked. Uh, that's a good point. Yeah, because I think from a selling standpoint, it's like, um, yeah, that on, on the surface, it sounds like a great deal, but once you actually do a, a substantial application, you still need to have the meter running on some of those uh, services that have to be living around. So, and, right. and I guess, uh, like, w when we think about, uh, like, Lambda, it's like, wow, that's that's really cool. I can get into that. Um, how how portable is it, like, if you start living the Lambda lifestyle, do you, do you are you in that lifestyle for as long as you're using Lambda, or or how portable is it? Yeah, well, that, I mean that's that's the th I mean that's the th one of the things about serverless on public cloud providers yeah. is not just Lambda, but really serverless as a whole is potentially a big lock-in to a single public cloud provider because even if you are writing your Lambda code in Python, let's say. Um, 
the current kind of the whole eventing model is going to be very tied into AWS, for instance, specifically. And also, if you're using other AWS specific services within your total serverless application, you're going to be pretty tied into uh, into that one cloud provider. If you want to go on premise, if you want to go to Google, um, that's probably going to be a fairly big effort. Now, that's not to say it never makes sense to do that. There's, and this is kind of why I tell people all the time and kind of the topic of um, proprietary public clouds, lock-in and that kind of thing. Uh, if there's real business value in, say, for example, using some uh, AWS machine learning or some Google Cloud machine learning or something like that, that may make sense for you to do, even though it might lock you into that specific cloud, particularly if this is some sort of short-lived application. But I tell people, don't do it by accident. Uh, if you lock yourself into a particular cloud provider uh, and you looked at the pros and cons and decided, yeah, that really makes business sense for me, you know, that's your, that's your decision to do. Just don't sort of do it by default when there's no good reason to do so. Yeah, that's where, you know, part of your cloud plan should include an exit strategy. And, and maybe it's acceptable or it's worth the exit costs uh, for you know that particular workload. So, um, but you you definitely want to think about it up front before you make that commitment, uh, especially knowing how it you know things start off inexpensive at first, but then they can balloon and then you may not be able to get off. So having that exit plan in place is very very important. But you know the other thing that I always think about you know since Red Hat is an open source company, are there you know and is is functions as a service and serverless computing something only in the domain of uh, of the public cloud providers or or are people in the open source community starting to uh, come up with open source implementations that are a little bit more portable yeah absolutely you know absolutely I mean things got started with AWS uh, lambda really uh, but we're seeing quite, quite a bit of activity uh, in the open source in the open source space first of all of course a lot of the Services outside of functions as a service are already available as open source. You've got identity systems, you've got uh, messaging buses, you've got uh, business rules engines, you get databases and so forth. So a lot of those pieces are already available, but there's work going on in the functions as a service space. So one of the more recent announcement was uh, something called Knative that uh, uh, originally came out of Google, but a bunch of other providers uh, have been, including Red Hat, have been involved with. And this is the idea of a uh, of a functions as a service uh, framework specifically for uh, Kubernetes, which of course is at the you know, core of OpenShift and a lot of the other uh, container, container orchestration platforms out there today. Mm -hmm. Okay, so does that mean that Knative uh, is tightly coupled to Kubernetes, and you you can't do Knative outside of Kubernetes, though, or or is it meant to, uh, um, or how how does that in, interplay happen? Yeah, well, Knative is Knative specifically was designed to 
interface with Kubernetes specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, there are other functions as a service, uh, services out there. Um, so, you, so you don't need Kubernetes to do functions as a service and open source. But because Kubernetes has gotten so much community attention as a container orchestration platform, and in fact, Various other companies that had been going in different directions have kind of switched gears to Kubernetes simply because there's so much uh, community have, has come on board around Kubernetes. That that seemed to be for for Red Hat's efforts uh, and Google's efforts. That seemed to make an awful lot of sense as platforming. Mean, you always have to make some choices over whether where you focus your your efforts and the Kubernetes space, Kubernetes platform uh, seemed to be a, a sensible place to to focus on. Yeah, and my my guess too is like with the uh, call for presentations being open for the Red Hat Summit, we're going to be hearing all about uh, Kubernetes and Knative and and microservices and functions as a service and containers and serverless computing uh, in in May up in Boston, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Knative seems to be gathering a lot of attention. Somebody was just telling me, I forget which event it was at, but they were amazed at how many of the uh, proposals that went in were around Knative, um, even specifically as well as as well as Kubernetes more broadly. So I think we will be we will be hearing. Uh, we'll be hearing a lot about that at uh, at Red Hat Summit as well as just serverless more broadly, which does remind me I need to get some presentation abstracts written. <laughs> well, well, with all that though, maybe maybe this is a good chance to to land the plane now and and let you let you work on your presentation. But we talked about a lot of things. Uh, so if people wanted to see the link to the Enterprises article, the um, you know getting links to K Native and the Red Hat Summit and all that, uh, and for the, all the show notes, where where should we be sending them, Gordon? The usual place, dgshow.org. So that yeah, that'll be there. Yeah, take a look at that article, which also gets into some things we didn't really have time to get into in this conversation. For example, I talk about how serverless relates to things like microservices and so forth. Yeah. And I, I think the way I would leave that particular point is really think of serverless as part of this continuum of uh, what Gartner calls service implementations in the enterprise. And no one approach is going to be best for everything. I think some people have a tendency to go, oh, everything's going to go to X within the next three years. And IT is never that simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, hey, Gordon, thanks a lot for joining us. And, and thank you, Kyle, uh, for making the suggestion and uh, encourage everybody else to reach out to us with topic ideas and things like that. And we'll catch everybody next time. Thanks, Dave. Okay, we good?